Welcome to Tell Us, a podcast all about the world of technology-enhanced learning, brought to you by the Tell team at the University of Sussex, with your host, Dan Axon. That's right, I'm Dan Axon, and this is the Tell Us podcast. Coming up on today's show, I speak to Daniel Hayash. Daniel is a PhD student at the University of Sussex, and he's been here studying physics uh, for his undergrad, and he then moved into engineering and informatics, where he's working in the human-computer interaction lab, and he uh, is working on tangible interfaces. Uh, really fascinating stuff, and we talk about that a bit later on as well. Uh, he's also managed to start a, a company as well, looking at how we can support people um, who are blind to... Uh, be able to interpret and use charts and data and graphs which are usually quite hard or inaccessible even uh, for people who are blind. Um, Daniel himself went blind when he was about 17 and um, of course that's a really challenging time to do so uh, from an education point of view so this is why we caught up with him for this show. And we talked about um, his experience of that at the time, uh, his impact on his education and the tools and strategies he's used since. And he gives some fantastic advice uh, towards the end as well. So listen out for that. Um, I should note that the audio quality in this recording is um, is quite poor. Um, I completely underestimated the noise of the room and the dripping of a, a pipe behind us. Um, but if you can make it past that, I think you'll enjoy what Daniel has to say. Uh, so without further ado, I'll pass you on to Daniel. I'll be back at the end uh, with shortcut of the show and, of course, uh, more info on what's coming up uh, next. Enjoy. All right, well, thanks for the invite. And yes, hello everybody, I'm Daniel Hayesh. I'm a PhD student at the University of Sussex, and I'm in the informatics department, and my research mainly involves something called multi-sensory human and computer interaction. So in a nutshell, basically, how us as humans interact with all kinds of technology. And I'm mainly interested in tactile interfaces, so how we utilize our sense of touch to interact with technology. So think about you know simple examples like vibrations in your phone, yeah. things like that. Right. And yeah, I've been here in Sussex for more than five years now. I yeah. did my undergraduate in physics, and I'm off to off to some research. Excellent. Thank you for that. And um, we ha- it's not the first time you've been on our podcast. Uh, is it? You no, tell no, us a bit about why we, when we first met. Exactly. So there was this um, event maybe half a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, ooh, can I get this correct? I think it was the Digital Discovery Week. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. And yeah, we, we gave a small presentation about some accessibility projects and we did a short session on different um, access and educational technologies back then, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so you talked about Graphil, didn't you? Your yes. company that you founded with your colleagues. Yeah, that's right. So when I was um, in the second year of my undergraduate and a few other guys from physics, we got together and we tried to solve, <laughs> maybe it's a strong word, but improve the accessibility of uh, science and technology education. So we uh, started a startup and, and still working on it. That's, it's really great, and, and um, we're, we're going to come back to Graphil, so hopefully we'll, we'll loop back really nicely. Um, and I'll put some details in the show notes about all this as well, of course, because, um, yeah, there's, there's very specific challenges you're trying to solve, and absolutely, I don't think it's too strong a word, um, because certainly I wasn't aware of the, the specific challenges until, until reading about what you, the work you've been doing. 
Um, so, as um, we spoke before um, recording, is um, we've done a few podcasts now on the theme of digital accessibility. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, the reason we want to talk to you uh, today is because um, you know you use accessibility software and hardware, don't you? Yes. Um, because at the age of 17, am I right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Roughly 16, 17. Yeah. A few months of transition. Yeah, you lost your sight. Yes, um, that's right. So um, this was just before coming to university. Exactly. Uh, and this was in while well, you were in Croatia, was that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you, could you tell us a bit about that moment and then the sort of the because you were in education. So this is what I'm really interested in, is the kind of support in terms of technology particularly, but generally around your education at the time and how you could continue to use the resources. Yeah, that's right. It was very challenging and interesting times because yeah. um, I was in sort of halfway through my high school and you know, yeah. at that time you already start thinking about what next, what's your interest. Yeah. If you want to go to university, then where to apply. And um, at that time I was already very much interested in physics and mathematics mainly. Sure. And um, but also, as you said, I lost my sight, which made a, a big um, difficulty in, in choosing what I want to do. Because sure. as soon as I lost my sight, I couldn't really use my notebooks anymore, take notes as such, or um, do any sort of um, mathematical things. It was only because you know I sat down with my teachers; they would take the notes, uh, read okay. to me. Same with my dad. Mm-hmm. At the time, I wasn't really aware of any even general purpose uh, assistive technology, let alone more specialized right. or scientific subjects. So it was very difficult, and uh, as it, it was clearly a big, big, big challenge, and I relied on lots of people uh, doing transcriptions and all sorts. Mm. I was like, well, how will I do this at university, where you just meant to go to lectures and do everything yourself? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a trade-off, okay, do I just want to do something which is still interesting, but not my passion, like, uh, I don't know, economics or history, mm-hmm. because it's more text-based, it could be easier to do. Yeah. Or you actually want to do the more challenging uh, thing, but which is actually your passion. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit of a, a dwell time, and then I just decided, ah, I'll see how it goes, I'll just do physics, and yeah. if it works, it works, if it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah, excellent. And, um, I mean, for, for, the re- uh, for the listeners, rather than readers, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, for the listeners, um, you know, you, you've not just done your degree, I mean, you've, you've succeeded quite highly, you've had awards left, right and centre, you've finished first class <laughs> honours, uh, you've done very well at your degree, haven't you? So yeah. you're clearly driven uh, as an academic in your own right, aren't you? Yeah, I was I was super lucky with uh, that. I still don't believe how it really happened. <laughs> I think it was really the payout that I actually chose to do my passion, yeah. which you know in the most difficult times helped me to get through it. Okay. I mean, a huge part of all that was really the the contributions from pretty much all the people in the department, you know, yeah. from fresher students, even under me, under my sort of. Um, uh, class, yeah. or even up to the sort of head of school, head of department level, yeah. everybody just helping in every possible way. Okay. So that was a big, big support, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's really the combination of these two which which helped. Yeah. Me. And, uh, that's, that's, that's really great to hear the, the support you've got. And, and you said when you, uh, you know, this initially happened, it was very challenging. You had, uh, you know, your family and your friends and your the teachers helping you and 
reading and transcribing for you and things like that. Did um, when you went to university, did that continue? Did you still have that uh, mechanism, or did you then turn towards technology? Did were you signposted anyway? In or? the so in the first few weeks, it was still kind of that system. It just um, family and friends. So what it would be really like is just um, people would take notes from your either on paper or mm-hmm. in some format, which might not be necessarily accessible for me. Mm-hmm. They would read it to me if there are some questions to solve. I would try to you know solve it in my head or speak out, and they would write it down. That's yeah. How we would do it, okay. but of course this wasn't really a sustainable system. Sure. So I started to already before coming to university look into different solutions, and I found mainly one which could work really nicely, mm-hmm. but it had a really steep um, learning curve. Sure. Um, maybe some people heard of um, LaTeX already. Yeah. It's yeah. a typesetting system, and there was a open source project developed by uh, also blind, uh, I think, mathematics students yeah. in, in Oxford. And they came up with a system how we can render this uh, sort of programming language, like or markup language, like writing into a more verbal description using screen readers. Right. So I had to learn two things: how to use this uh, open source software, mm-hmm. and also how to read and write later. Yeah. All in the you know next in the first few weeks of university, which right. normally they suggest you to start doing the second, third year of university okay. as sort of yeah. good practice. Wow, so um, you're having to learn the software because it enabled you to do the work that you needed to do in your first year. Exactly. But the software itself wouldn't normally be addressed until the second year. Yeah, yeah. so LaTeX, you know, normally when you start university, it's fine to write even scientific reports in just a Microsoft Word file and use Excel. And then as you progress and as things get more complicated in scientific notation, um, usually academics or teachers suggest you start using LaTeX because that's what everybody's using after graduation in that field. But I sort of had to do this from day one because it enabled me to a write my own assignments using this language and read it back using mm-hmm. the computer. But also, if my um, support worker took notes in this language, I could read it myself. So, were you already using screen readers at the time then, and then all you learning to use those at the same time as well? Yes, uh, because I needed to use for everything else, like emails or just even do high school assignments mm-hmm. for other subjects. Uh, or generally do pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to use a screen reader, so I had a few, like a year and a half experience with it, maybe. Okay. And that was already helpful, but then straight jumping into like a next level up of screen reader yeah. usage. Okay. And so, um, I mean, just to skip ahead a bit, you know, sort mm-hmm. of fast forward five years, you know, what tools are you using now? Uh, you know, in your daily work and daily life that enable you to access the resources to be able to do your research. Um, I'm still using um, screen readers to a high extent. Now, at the beginning, I only used uh, Windows-based screen readers. Now, I'm using in a combination both um, mm-hmm. the Apple macOS uh, screen reader yeah. and uh, Windows because they have different strengths and limitations. Okay. And then the other big thing that I'm using is um, I'm not reading so much um, you know, physics and mathematical notation anymore. I try mm-hmm. in human-computer interaction is more psychology-based. So I can just use PDFs, and then sometimes I have to uh, do optical character recognition to convert into a slightly better format like HTML, which is easier to read. But still, even though like conferences try to put lots of emphasis on accessibility, they are still Mm. not um, the best quality sometimes. And... um, 
I think those are the main two things. Okay. Of course, sometimes I get some other support. But yeah. Uh, and uh, do you think over the five years that the resources that are provided to you for teaching or for resource, or those that you find from conferences or otherwise, have improved, or do you think are still the same same issues are cropping up? So having to do OCR, for example, on the PDFs is that something you've always had to do? In specifically in terms of PDF, I think there was a big big improvement yeah. in the last five years. In the beginning, it was almost to the level like a PDF. No way. I can yeah, yes, I need okay. something else. Now most of the PDFs are at least tagged to a certain extent. Sure. And also, I see it more, more and more often that sometimes uh, publishers um, who have PDF formats they do like an online version as well. Okay. So more sort of HTML like yeah. format, and that's uh, very helpful. Okay. And um, what, on the other hand, what's improving is something called MATML. So it's a mathematical markup language. Okay. So previously, if you came across even a simplest equation or uh, some sort of mathematical notation in a publication, mm-hmm. it would be more likely implemented as a picture format. Okay. You, know, yeah. you just, yeah. I don't know, use PowerPoint or Word to make it an equation. You mm. sort of make a picture out of it and insert it into the PDF or website, yeah. which is not uh, the best way to do it. Yeah. And now with this mathematical markup language, uh, which sort of slight, uh, slowly becomes an integral part of HTML, okay. um, it's easier for the screen readers to, to render it. Sure, yeah, and read it out to you. So... You know, we talked a lot about um, you know, reading and, and mathematical formula can be read. So, you know, you've done a physics uh, degree and you're in sort of, you know, you're in the School of Informatics now and research. So there's obviously a lot of data, um, but also charts and images and graphical representations. That must have presented quite a unique challenge. Yes, indeed. I mean, it's very difficult. There are solutions out there uh, for for a while, like uh, Braille embossers, which can do like um, embossed graphs Mm. or swell paper, where you just basically apply sort of um, a chemically coated paper and some heat to raise lines, black lines and paper. But almost all of these are either expensive or very time consuming, or you still, even though the output is accessible, you need somebody um, cited to design these materials. There are very heavy guidelines how to make a good one, because you might do like a tactile diagram, but it might be very, very badly designed. So if it's, let's say, a one-to-one translation of something visual, Mm. then it's, it's almost... Uh, useless. Okay. So in practice, when you have you know deadlines every two three weeks at the university, you have so much to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, besides all the other challenges, then it can sometimes very uh, impractical to all do all these, especially yeah. if you you know, for example, wait funding for six months and the course is almost half over. Yeah. Yeah. So in in practice, sometimes it's a case of like, okay, let's just sit down. We have these ten diagrams to do for tomorrow. Can you just describe it to me? Okay, and typically then you say you've relied on an actual person to do yeah, that. Yeah. So um, actually, this does tie in quite nicely because it brings us up to, you know, effectively, I guess that's the, you know, your your origin moment for Graphile, right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So. so Tell us a little bit about how that came about, you know, what, what was the spark? Was it, you know, you sat in a pub with your mates or, you know, did you, what happened? So there were two key moments. First yeah. one is thanks to Professor Cathy Romer. She's yeah. a professor at um, the physics department. Sure. And she had a first year course where she said, well, you know, just come up with some sort of programming challenge. You can do anything you want for the whole term yeah. and then you can present it as a, a sort of final assignment at the end of the course. 
And, you know, you could, I was even thinking maybe do like some sort of audio Rubik's Cube or some sort of funny application. Yeah. But then at the time, I also read a lot about Braille displays, just where you uh, print um, yeah. um, text like okay. a, on a tactile display. Yeah. And also, at the same time, we learned about, you know, just how images are made out of pixels and matrices and all that. So I had this idea, oh, well, if we can do Braille just in one line, we could do like a matrix of, of um, tactile pixels, and you could just make an image. Yeah. So instead of just fiddling with tactile embossing, you could have almost like a computer screen that you... Um, digitally or electronically emboss the images on the fly. Yeah. So that would be quite cool. And I wrote a proposal. We didn't actually do during those 12 weeks anything uh, physical, but yeah. we had the uh, idea. Okay. And then we spent a bit of time, you know, just prototyping, getting uh, people introduced to the idea, get some resources. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, we wanted to turn scientific diagrams into something tactile in a yeah. very easy and convenient way. Um, unfortunately, we realized that this is not so easy, okay. and this is what basically brought my PhD, because it's a, a whole research field on its own for the last 20, 30 years, oh, wow, okay. interfaces, yeah. and today there isn't really an you know, ultimate solution, like a great solution, sure. so it's still a lot to learn and research. Mm-hmm. So instead, we transitioned into this other idea I described to you, this practical thing that, well, it's often easier just to sit down for an hour mm-hmm. with somebody and they describe it to you. Sure. But the problem there, even though it's quite easy, it's not always possible uh, in a short space of time to find somebody who has the skill yeah. and the time to do it. But then, equally, you don't necessarily need to be sitting next to each other. You could just... Uh, yeah online, submit a diagram, and somebody on the other side of the world could uh, describe it to you if they are available. Uh So this is something that we found it's more feasible to develop. Mm. So one of my uh, friends from physics, Tim Lingard, who is now in Portsmouth, Uh he uh, is very good with web development, so he developed an online platform. And then now we are trying to put the community behind it um, who can describe diagrams for people who need it. So... um, I mean, it can't just be anyone, can it? Describe the diagram. It's a or, or still it? big debate. Ideally, yeah. it would be um, good to have people who have uh, experience with mm-hmm. seeing diagrams and also describing them. Mm. Uh, it's a matter of fact, can we teach people to describe uh, diagrams um, mm-hmm. effectively or not? Because, I mean, the guidelines are fairly simple, but equally, you know, people might not feel confident enough. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of like, do we want to limit our community to more like the sort of scientifically trained and minded people, mm-hmm. hence having a higher quality, perhaps uh, maybe smaller community, yeah. or just you know put lots of effort in super clear guidelines, almost you know like a good marketing how people can do this, yeah. and then have a wider community. And how uh, how how's it been received? So you've te- you tested this on other people, right? Yes, I think the idea, we always hear that um, people really appreciate the simplicity of the idea mm-hmm. and how useful it could be. Yeah. But in practice, we find it difficult to recruit people from both sides. A, okay. On you know, one side, the volunteers mm-hmm. who can continuously engage. But on the other side, um, it's a bit of a chicken and egg problem because... Of course. As science is so difficult to do with a visual impairment these days, not many people want to do it. Right. So it's hard to find, like, okay, here is a solution that could make it much easier in the future, but yeah. it's hard to sort of 
uh, prove it <laughs> without yeah. many people using it. So I guess, yeah, the challenge is help. It, it's something that could eventually, like you say, chicken or egg, but I guess it's something that could eventually show people actually it is possible for you to go into these subjects because the tools are there to help you navigate navigate those, those challenges. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what we are trying to do instead is um, instead of asking people who might you know, need help directly and, and mm. sort of ask them to try to use it and have some volunteers, um, maybe just go for um, institutions or um, agents who provide these sort of content. So like a um, uh, book publisher, e-book yeah. publisher or conference venues or even just um, journals who have the articles online with all the diagrams, mm-hmm. it would be a first really good step to have all these um, diagrams already accessible on the web. Of course. And then, of course, people don't even need to submit anything. They could just go online and realize that, oh, actually, I could read this yeah. scientific publication from beginning to the end without major difficulties. I had access to all the content. So um, where can people find out more about Graphil and Iris, the product you described? So we have a website which we try to keep more or less up to date. Um, mm-hmm. And it's called uh, Graphil, so it's G-R-A-P-H-E-L-E-L.com. Yeah. And uh, there is a fairly clear link to Iris as well, which is a separate application. Yeah. And um, it's not, uh, not a sort of uh, a store uh, application like on Android. Uh, mm. Google Play or, or the App Store, but it's um, a web, almost like a website, so you can download on pretty much anything, a computer or phone, and, uh, and use it. I'll put the details again in the show mm-hmm. notes so people can find that, and, and information about yourself as well. I'll put a link to your, your Twitter, you use Twitter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll try to. <laughs> put that on there. Um, and if there's anything else you want on there as well, I can put that in. Um, I'd, I'd like to sort of wrap up a bit, um, mm-hmm. but what I'd be curious is if, if you could give one piece of advice to the lecturers at the university here um, who are creating content for their modules uh, and their you know, courses around the university. What, what would be the single most important thing they consider when creating something? If they have specific students in mind, mm-hmm. always check with them what works with them because even though there might be guidelines, there might be isolated cases where it's actually not the best solution for that particular student or group of students. If you just, you know, generally want to make your content as not even just accessible, but usable for your whole uh, group of people, um, it depends a bit on the content, but I think it's it's good to use, um, always good to use like standard, um, uh, standardized rules. So, If it's a case of, um, again, I can just refer back to sort of um, scientific subjects. Mm-hmm. Of course, please. Yeah, 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 please say, yeah. <laughs> Biggest experience. We had yeah. lots of big problems where um, people who know LaTeX a little bit, you can use sort of built-in commands, okay. which are quite intuitive, and you can define equally, if not much more, um, commands for okay. different symbols on your own. It's like a personalized um, command. Yeah. And that's a big problem because, um, you know, lecturers like to abbreviate, um, I don't know, a comment of uh, 10 characters into just two to make it okay. faster. Yeah. But then, of course, it screws up a bit all the assistive technology uh, because they have to operate on based on languages. Sure. So even though it, it might feel like oh, it's fine to take a shortcut, mm-hmm. just don't do it, just go with like a, yeah. a standard. I really, um, your, your, your initial response there, um, I think, is really important because we can have all these standards, we can have all these guidelines and we can follow them, but actually speaking to your students 
is often the first step because those guidelines might not work for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly. uh, very important. And actually, over the, over the next few months, we're going to be doing a lot of work for the staff at university around accessibility because um, new EU legislation is in place around public body websites and yes. apps and things like that. So, yeah, we've got work to do around this. But I think that's, uh, that's a really crucial message, so thank you for that. Um, is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we uh, wrap up? So I think we covered lots of the aspects I had in mind, so not at the moment, but maybe for a new podcast episode. Yeah, all right. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for your time. I hugely appreciate it. Uh, I know you're busy and, um, you know, know, problems you're solving aren't small ones. So you've got, you know, you've got work to do. (laughs) Thank you very much. But I can't wait to see how it develops. And, um, yeah, listeners, I encourage you to check out uh, the work of Daniel and his colleagues, um, you know, and the work that they're doing. So uh, thank you again, Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. It's a pleasure. that's the interview i really hope you enjoyed listening to what daniel had to say as much as i did uh, chatting to him uh, and again apologies for the audio quality um some really great information some great insights but most of all some really important advice there at the end which i thought was really insightful around um you know how best to prepare your content uh, and the stuff you design and make for students is simply to ask your students. So if you have a student who has a specific need that you're aware of or someone's come to you, you know, ask them what works for them because not one size does not fit all. As we know, we can put all the groundwork in place and have a really good baseline, um, but it's really important that we have the conversation with our students as well. So please take that on board. Uh, With respect to digital accessibility, we're going to be doing a load of work uh, over the summer for uh, colleagues across the university uh, to support you with this. So please um, do get in touch if you have any questions or want to find out more, and we'll certainly communicate that in time. Now for Shortcut of the Show, and this is provided by my colleague Kitty Horn, and uh, the shortcut of the show is Shift F3. That's right, Shift F3. What does Shift F3 do, you ask? Well, if you're in Word and you highlight some text and you do Shift F3, it will change the capitalization, easy for me to say, of the words. So it'll cycle between capitalizing the beginning of the sentence to capitalizing every word, capitalizing everything and so on, and it'll just keep cycling through. So Shift F3 for easy, for all your capitalization needs. Thank you, Kitty. And, um... One more thing for this show, and that is to tell you, unusually, I know, what's coming up on next uh, on the next show. Um, we've got a really interesting um, uh, lineup for you. Um, those of you listening may know, at Technology Enhanced Learning, we do seminars throughout the year. And uh, this week, uh, tomorrow, actually, as I record this, uh, we have uh, one titled Technology and Education, Opportunities and Challenges for Equality. And um, this is going to be a great event. This is a panel event, uh, and we are joined by uh, Dr. Maren Deepwell, who is the CEO at ALT, that's the Association for Learning Technologies, and Mary Krell, who is a senior lecturer in media and film studies at the university. And they're going to be speaking about the opportunities and challenges uh, that technology can provide for, or, or provides, or has uh, for equality. And we know that technology is not a new thing, it's been around 
for as long as we've been able to create things, uh, you know, from fountain pens, printing presses, through to iPads and virtual reality. So um, I'm sure quite a lot of different things will come up. The event will be chaired by Dr. Tamsin Hinton-Smith, who is a senior lecturer in higher education, um, again at the University of Sussex, and we'll have a panel discussion and there'll be a Q&A and everything. Uh, and I've got the opportunity to chat to our panel after the event tomorrow. Uh, so um, listen out for that and I'll publish that and communicate that out and uh, as and when, but I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I'm also going to be jo- joined by my colleague Kitty Horn for that as well. So that's all for today. Thank you for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed it, and I'll be back next time. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>